Buongiorno, and welcome to the Global Podcast, where we keep you up to date on the latest trends and insights on diplomacy in international development. I'm your host, Jesu Antonio Baez, Director of Pax Tecum Global Consultancy, based here in London, which produces this series. In this podcast, I sit down with thought leaders, diplomats, and experts on the field, as well as provide analysis from our own team at Pax to talk more about the need for diplomacy in international development in order to foster political will around greater social impact and good. So grab your headphones and let's get on with the show. On today's episode of the Global Podcast, we're going to explore the current challenges that are present for women's empowerment and health on a larger global scale. In the past 10 years, we have seen a slew of successes for women's health and empowerment from advances such as the inclusion of women's empowerment and rights, as well as gender equality to the UN Sustainable Development Goals back in 2014 to the election of more female leaders and easing of restrictions of women's rights in Saudi Arabia. Yet it has also seen a turn for the worst, as seen with the views of abortion rights slipping in many countries from the United States to Poland, as well as the risk that COVID-19 is playing on how countries are prioritizing gender equality. But in these uncertain times, is there real potential leeway to be able to allow a progression for the women's rights and health agenda? And what policies can be implemented by governments to safeguard women's rights? And what can business do to be able to ensure it as well? Joining us on today's discussion, we have Matt Jackson and Susan Markham. Matt Jackson is the director of the London office for UNFPA, which is the United Nations Sexual and Reproductive Health Agency. Matt has previously worked as a diplomat for the United Kingdom's Foreign and Commonwealth Office, including roles in New York City, where he negotiated the Sustainable Development Goals, and as Chief of Staff to the Special Representative on Climate Change. His career is focused on gender equality, human rights, sustainable development, and climate change. Susan Markham is a policy expert, advocate, and political strategist with Smash Strategies, where she helps companies and not-for-profit organizations understand that gender equality is good for business. Previously, Susan served at the United States Agency for International Development, also known as USAID, as Senior Coordinator for Gender Equality and Women's Empowerment, where she advised agency leadership on gender policy issues, including the implementation of USAID's gender equality and female empowerment policy. So, to say that they're qualified to speak about this is an understatement. So, Susan and Matt, thank you for joining us on the Global Podcast. Thank you for inviting. Glad to be here. Thank you. Perfect. Well, let's take the discussion now in regards to this particular topic. I mean, one can say it's all under the umbrella of women's rights. Others can say that they're both separate with women's empowerment and women's health. But nonetheless, let's talk about priorities for women globally. Uh, there have been discussions, and particularly from from PAX, like Global Consultancy, which uh, supports this podcast, we have seen a notice in regards to governments fearing that... Uh, they have to be able to put the pandemic in in front gear. They have to be able to put everything in shift. And there's a fear that there may be uh, a step back in regards to prioritizing 
women's women's endeavors around the world. But before we get into that, I want to talk about the challenges that have already been existing from a global point of view. So I wanted to ask, what are the challenges present, particularly within the sector? So let's start with women's empowerment. Susan, I'd love to hear from you first. What are the present challenges you're noticing within this struggle for women? Well, I think uh, 2020 was supposed to be the uh, 25th anniversary of Beijing plus 25, and we had a series of events around the world to celebrate this, and of course, those didn't happen. And I think the biggest struggle is that in the 25 years, while progress has been made, it hasn't been nearly as great as what we thought. We thought we had great momentum, it was global, um, not just pushed from one part of the world to the other, that governments were buying into it, and I think one of the biggest disappointments is that it just hasn't happened. We have had in fits and starts, but it certainly wasn't, you know, like a snowball going down a hill that gained momentum. And so I think whether it's women's economic empowerment, political participation, or access to health um, services, women, we just haven't been able to secure our rights in a way that is, um, I think, secure. Precisely. Secure and also being able to see this perhaps also as a key priority as well, too. It seems to be still seen as almost as a token banner as, yes, we're all women's empowerment. We're on pro women's empowerment instead of realizing, well, hold up a second. It's not about being a banner. It's about this is a proper implementation. Houston, we have a problem. This needs to be a norm and not simply a fad. If I can just say, I think it's still seen as women's rights and not gender equality. We're just getting to the point now where we are accepting the idea that both men and women benefit from gender equality and that, um, you know, men being able to be greater part of caregiving as well as women entering the workforce. These both benefit uh, men and women, boys and girls. Precisely. Exactly. That it is something that is equal across the, the board, whether it's for men or for women. I mean, I can definitely speak for myself that. I that the better not allowing women to be part of the discussion, not allowing them to be equal participants and equal beneficiaries of successes, whether it's in a professional, whether it's even in a personal aspect, is hindering just general development overall. So I completely agree with that aspect, but I now want to take it to Matt, given from the health aspect, and 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 I can I can sing the songs of disparities I've seen even in my own previous career working within Global Women's Health. Matt, I'd love to hear from you. What do you feel are the key challenges um, that are not being addressed in regards to women's health globally? Well, there are some huge gender impacts, gendered impacts. Um, One of the biggest issues of our time is how we respond to and prevent sexual and gender-based violence. One in three women will be affected by gender-based violence or domestic violence in her lifetime. And we know that in times of pandemic or conflict, gender-based violence increases. Some research conducted last year by UNFPA with Avenir Health, Johns Hopkins University and Victoria University in Australia, which showed how the COVID-19 pandemic could undermine essential healthcare services and also derail achieving the sustainable development goals. For example, it showed that six months of global lockdowns or movement restrictions could mean 31 million extra cases of gender-based violence. And this also affects other parts of our societies too. As schools close and girls are kept at home, millions more girls are at risk of female genital mutilation or child marriage. 
And this is happening right now. So there's a real risk of development gains being undone and a risk of other messages countering or filling the gap, the programs that are struggling to deliver during the COVID restrictions. So I'd say in addition to adapting programs and delivery to a pandemic setting, it's also really important to accelerate um, our work. And you're talking about the, the sort of the broader picture and something we hear a lot about is accelerating progress or redoubling efforts. Yet in some cases, huge steps can be made just by putting girls at the center of what we do. I appreciate how Susan had indicated it does seem to be that 2020 was supposed to be the year that everything happened and suddenly we're realizing as the pandemic has made us realize in so many aspects, you know, Houston, we have a problem here. Uh, in regards to the, the issues that you're seeing, is there any prevalent case that you've noticed that you're saying, okay, this this one's quite worrying, so one that you can take in uh, really, really that comes to heart when you talk about this? Yes, you're just talking about um, 25 years since um, the Beijing uh, Women's Conference. And one thing, one element that um, the 25th anniversary and going into this year as well is really going to talk about is bodily autonomy. And I think this is an area where all organizations and businesses can rally around to champion. A girl really should be able to say, my body is my own and decide her own future and fulfill her own potential. Yet every society has barriers, practices or inequalities that we're talking about that limit a girl's potential. I've already mentioned harmful practices such as female genital mutilation, but there are other areas too. The shame associated with menstruation and the challenges of getting hold of period products. Accessing contraception can be a challenge, particularly for adolescents and unmarried women, and the stigma of living with HIV. And here we're talking about issues that we can change. We're talking about dignity, bodily autonomy, and empowerment, and we need to get this right. Precisely. And Susan, taking it back to you in this aspect, of course, I've mentioned to Matt what would be the particularly worrying cases. But from your end, uh, from your experience with USAID or even your current capacity at the moment, what have you been noticing at present in regards to where it seems that we just are not progressing properly with gender equality, despite everything we've been trying to, to do and promote uh, from a global uh, aspect? Well, I think a big theme that actually cuts across what Matt was just talking about is this idea that a woman's body or her personal life in no way affects everything else is completely false, right? If she doesn't control when and how many children she has or has access to the services and products, he said, we're, we're never gonna get to women's full economic empowerment or political participation, quite frankly. And so I think the personal is political and we cannot, we can no longer divorce kind of a woman's personal life and what we are expecting to do through development. And I think another aspect of that is this issue of caregiving, right? In all of these things, we're expecting women to, okay, you're empowered, now we want you to work outside the home. And we want you to grow a small farm at your house so your kids can eat healthier food. And we want you to run for office, right? All these things will, what is the reality of that? Um, when I worked with women running for office, asking them to run was like asking them to fly to the moon, but they had to build their own rocket, right? It just wasn't realistic about how their lives were working. And so I think this issue of caregiving, it's very important who cares for the kids. And we've just dumped it on women in many places and not really thought about how that impacts her ability to play a full role in public life. 
Precisely, Susan, on that aspect. But And I'm glad you highlighted that part because it's showing a disparity in regards to taking consideration the dynamics of women uh, throughout the world. There seems to be a desire for this cookie-cut approach when it comes to women's empowerment and, and taking care of gender equality from a global aspect. But as we all know, those of us that work within the development sphere and even from a diplomatic angle, there is a bespoke approach that is required to tackle every single problem because they're all particularly different. Whether it's a woman based in Bishkek, Kyrgyzstan, or whether it's a woman in Muscat, Oman, or a woman in Washington, D.C., she has particular dynamics that one needs to take in consideration. It seems uh, what you seem to be highlighting as well is, uh, as a worrying case, is the lack of consideration for those dynamics at play. And I do want to take it to the next question, uh, and that's back to COVID, because again, COVID gets woven into our discussion. If it's not already woven into our Twitter feed or in our everyday speech, it's definitely woven into this podcast. So I'm wondering, uh, and I'm saying this from a worrying standpoint, how much is COVID becoming a real threat to putting women's equal, uh, or gender equality, excuse me, uh, on the backstage uh, in regards to developing proper policies uh, and and really uh, tackling them. Well, it's already shown a great impact around the world. Um, just here in the U.S., the latest job reports for December and January showed the overwhelming majority of people who stepped away from the workforce were women. And we are now back to levels that haven't been seen in decades. They are so low. And it's just the reality of during this pandemic, who is doing what? And women are often in jobs where they cannot work from home and watch their kids do virtual learning and, you know, all the other things that need to be done. And so women are stepping away from the workforce um, here and around the world because they don't have this support um, that they need in order to do their job. And so I don't think it's a theoretical medical question. I think it's already showing in data. And as Matt said, with regard to gender-based violence, I mean, that data exists already. The the year has um, proven, I think, right from the beginning, we started looking at gender issues and the data was collected in a sex-disaggregated way. And so um, across um, women's entrepreneurship, women's employment, women's access to health care, these are all things that have been impacted and we've already been able to show it. Exactly, and that's what's becoming quite frightful. And Matt, I want to take it to you. What are you What are you noticing in regards to COVID in that aspect? Is COVID putting, uh, clearly it's a health pandemic and clearly it's taking its toll immensely uh, within the, the health systems globally, be it from developing or developed countries. How much is COVID becoming a threat now to women's health in the aspect where it's no longer as prioritized as previously? Well, we've already talked a bit about how uh, domestic violence, cases of female genital mutilation and child marriage have increased during the pandemic as girls have been taken uh, out of school and they're they're stuck at home or women are stuck with their abusers. Um, But we also, as Susan's pointed to, we know that um, in terms of job losses, um, that a lot of the um, the, uh, jobs that are more vulnerable um, are held by um, women. Um, So you've got to look at the sort of participation in the labor force, um, whether it's sort of small and medium enterprises, self-employed, local work, um, uh, it really does uh, have a huge gendered impact. We also know that women represent 70% of the global health and social care workforce. So there's the unca- unpaid um, care workforce that Susan was talking about, but also 70% of the global workforce are women. And that 
puts them disproportionately on the front lines of the COVID response. Um, and we've seen cases around the world where uh, countries have struggled to get uh, protective equipment, PPE, protective personal equipment, um, and where they have um, managed to get hold of some, it's perhaps gone to larger hospitals. So maternity units and women's healthcare centres have been lower down the list. And UNFPA, we've been working to make sure that maternity units and and and, and their the providers um, who are mostly women um, do get the PPE, um, so they can be protected and protect um, the ongoing um, uh, cases. Um, plus, also when you look at maternity units, women are still pregnant, women are still giving birth, women are still menstruating. These issues don't stop during a pandemic, um, so we have to look at both the continuing of these essential services as well as reacting and responding to the COVID pandemic. Exactly. These don't stop. And it seems that many, whether they be policymakers or those at that top tier within a government sphere or even within a health aspect, are not really appreciating that the fact that these are still ongoing and that we cannot simply pause. But then again, while one can go on talking about the issues that are present, I want to take the discussion now talking about the potential solutions and something that this podcast uh, focuses on is how businesses, also NGOs and other international organizations can really uh, try to foster change and really try to help become a solution where it seems there was none on that aspect. And I would like to shift this back to Susan in regards to talking about business and where they can can fit. Susan, this is something clearly that you are working with within your uh, within your firm. So it'd be interesting to understand from your point of view, how can businesses then engage to try to help reprioritize uh, gender equality or how they can engage even with governments to try to really change policy on that aspect where they may not be seeing at present time due to the the actual circumstances? Well, as I said before, I think caregiving is a major issue and both the public and private sectors have a role to play in, you know, fixing the system so that everyone who would like to work outside the home or work from home in a regular manner can do that. But there are other other things that we can think about. Um, for instance, so many people now are working and meeting and even talking to the, their family online. And so this idea of the gender digital divide exists. Um, and so what it's doing is make sure divide and women and girls have access to the internet and all the resources that exist there, whether it's information about health or access to school or for women business owners, right, access to banking and other issues. I think that's a, uh, something that's been brought into stark relief and that we can really work on the, the digital aspect. And then, you know, one entity that continues to chug along are governments. So what can governments do to perhaps hire more women businesses or hire more women into that more formal work sector or in their procurement or supply chain? Um, so that's one way that actually if companies, big companies continue to exist, they can also look at these issues. But I think the the pandemic has really showed that we need to have a more variety of sources for the goods and services that we need. And so this is a great opportunity to really think about women's economic empowerment and ways that, that both government and companies can do more to, um, not through their foundation, but through their business work, invest and hire women. 
Exactly. And then the benefit out of that is really while they are tackling, let's say, a key SDG, which many of them are trying to look at it when they try to think of a ticking box. At the same token, they are contributing towards their economic health of their country because by incorporating the women of, and the citizens uh, of their country, they are actually allowing it to flourish uh, far more. But um, are there any key examples you can think of in regards to where there's a success story, for example? Have the, you seen any on your end where there, there seems to be a success in, in showing how that can work, just to give some idea to the audience? Well, for instance, Kenya has a, pro a public procurement policy where they reserve 30% of the government contracts for women, youth, or persons with disabilities. So they really are thinking creatively about how we can work to increase the GDP, as you said, for the whole country. So we're not just investing on the side, but it's really part of the way the government is functioning. I like that. I really do like that initiative. And I hope whoever's listening to this, maybe from the UK or Europe, could equally copy that. But now taking it back to you, Matt, um, well, how about on your end? What are you seeing where businesses, for example, are playing a role? Obviously, with, with, within your role with UNFPA, I'm sure you've been engaging uh, quite frequently with UK-based businesses around, around this particular topic. So where can they fit in in regards to really ensuring that women's health is still seen as a priority with government and within the general dynamics? Right, well, as a, as a starter, I think it really comes down to putting girls and women at the centre and listening to their voices. We know that investments in contraception and maternal and newborn care are a best buy in terms of health interventions for every dollar spent on family planning. We know that there are six dollars in associated benefits that go with it. Um, for businesses, for example, businesses can think about how they can provide healthcare and period products to their workers. Uh, I know UNFPA has worked with companies to provide women's healthcare needs, particularly in large um, female workforces, such as garment manufacturers, but this can happen um, for any organization. And I know LVMH has been doing good work on that. Um, for governments, you mentioned, governments can include a national budget line for family planning. Um, they can also create comprehensive sexuality education programs, both for in and out of school. Um, and this is sort of to Susan's point about digital. Digital comprehensive sexuality education has been really popular during the lockdown and it's really taken off. Um, and it, it doesn't depend on the on the provider um, being a, a human. It actually um, uh, works as it is. So you can really get the messages out there. And getting gender equality into, into policy is really key. And so whether you're a you know, government policymaker, diplomat, international organization, I think all can do more to ensure that gender is a key part in developing policy programs and responses. And it's really crucial in areas where girls and women are particularly vulnerable, such as climate change, health that we're talking about, education and energy, all of which have gendered impacts um, and your specific question just now about the health sector, I mean, there are various types of things that we can look at, including emergency obstetric care, um, uh, postnatal care, um, routine uh, antenatal care. All of this is about ensuring safe delivery and whether that's in a development setting, a developed setting, um, uh, a humanitarian setting. All of these are really essential to save the life of both mother and baby. So this is just a basic healthcare that we're talking about. Um, and this is really important to get right, as, as Susan was saying, um, that the conversations about women's bodies um, really need to be uh, taken up to a, a much a priority level. 
a priority level and also have to be taken into consideration as also an investment towards the country in general, but also in a bespoke way, considering the dynamics. And that's what I'm hearing from both ends. Um, I do want to end this podcast episode now with one simple last question, perhaps to be able to uh, encourage the listeners as well too, and also give them an idea in regards to where to start, almost like an action point. I mean, clearly this is a topic that is uh, not only t- uh, important for the both of you, but as well, even with Pax and Global, with the work we we deal with and, and, and understand why it's important to really focus on on women overall, but we'd love to leave it with a bit of an action point. So what is one general tip and advice for, let's say, a business that's listening now to really just kickstart and start it in regards to really prioritizing women's empowerment and health during this pandemic and make sure it is not lost? I'll I'll, I'll let you go first, Susan. Well, I think a question everyone can be asking at their local level, at their, you know, town council, all the way up to, you know, uh, higher levels of government or or of co- or of companies, who is making the decisions? Who is sitting around the table deciding how COVID dollars are spent or the response plans are being written? And are women not just high uh, high influential women, but women of different races and ethnicities and social classes, you know, how are they engaged in this process um, of not just COVID recovery, but long-term policy making? And in the case of development, who's designing those programs? I think it's really key that we have um, women and uh, old women and young women and a variety of types of voices at that table in order to make the best long-term and sustainable decisions. Excellent. I love how you indicated that it's not just supposed to be influential women that should be involved in this, but every aspect of women, because that is that goes back to the need for bespoke ability of 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 tackling this issue is understanding those dynamics. So thank you for that aspect. And then Matt, I leave it to you. Thanks, and I agree with Susan. Um, it's uh, it's really about for me. Um, ensuring that the the woman or the girl that we're talking about in a particular policy uh, or program that her voice is heard during the decision making process Um, whether that's a woman with a disability feeding into or making the decisions on programs about reproductive health and rights for people with disabilities whether it's about uh, adolescent girls in humanitarian settings making decisions about the schooling that they have Um, really important to get the voices the individuals into the decision making process but also that um, women in these positions have positions of power Um, so they uh, control the finance the budgets as well Um, and that sort of spend power uh, is just as important i think um, to get right Excellent, excellent. This is excellent action points for those that are listening in and inshallah, they actually take it accordingly. Well, Susan and Matt, this has been an absolute pleasure having you talk about this very important topic to all of us um, today. And hopefully this can lead to particular progress because uh, this is definitely something that, that cannot possibly go away. As Matt, you've indicated, women will continue to give birth and they will continue to be obstetrical and gynecological issues. And Susan, as you highlighted, uh, gender equality is vital and even for men as well. So hopefully there will be a progress in the future. One must always be optimistic or else we wouldn't be working in this field. So Susan and Matt, thank you very much for your participation. That brings us to the end of this edition of the Global Podcast. I'm Jesu Antonio Baez, Director of Pax Tech and Global Consultancy, which produces this series. Please do check out our website at www. 
paxtechumglobal.org. That's P-A-X-T-E-C-U-M-G-L-O-B-A-L.org to discover more about our work. You can also follow this podcast and the work of PAX on both Twitter and LinkedIn. And if you like this podcast, please don't forget to rate, review, and of course subscribe on both Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Join us next week for another edition, and until next time, grazie e ci sentiamo presto. Ciao!